Y'all get out of here. Get where you're going. Amen. Get where you're going. Amen. Boy, it's good to be safe. Here's what I want to do. While they're finding their place, they're still getting down. Let's, let's remain standing for just a second. Uh, uh, I, want to, I want to say a, a word, just a minute, about DMD, Disciples Making Disciples, our, our ministry here at the church. And I think everybody's out of here. Okay, you can be seated. You can be seated. Uh, uh, we are kicking off our second training center. And, uh, and I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to pray about joining DMD. Uh, we've made some adjustments and some changes from when we first started it. Uh, in the beginning, we said that this is the only thing you'd be able to participate in. If you were in any other ministry, you'd have to focus solely on this. But we're going to change that. Uh, to You can be in multiple things with these two, these two areas. So... Uh, if you were in something else and you thought about being in it before, but you didn't want to give up what you were doing, uh, we, can, we can handle all that and take care of that. So be praying about this. And I've asked my daughter, I've asked my daughter, Becca, uh, uh, to come and just share a word. She's been in it from the beginning. And, uh, man, she has seen some incredible things. And I, I just want her to cut. You got a, a mic? You got, you got your mic? All right. All right. Okay. I didn't see no mic, but I see it yeah. now. Amen. Oh. Well, y'all welcome Becca to the house today. Amen. All right. She gets all her good looks from her father. <clears throat> it's obvious. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead, Becky. Okay. Um, well, I'm super excited to share with you about DMD. Um, he's probably going to have to cut his message short because I've got a lot to say. But um, so basically. Now she um, takes that after her mama. <laughs> um, I just want to briefly share with you kind of what to DMD, and then I'll just kind of tell you about our microchurch that we're doing. Um, but a while back, I was really doubting my salvation and just, you know, praying to God, like, am I saved? Because I don't even know if I am. But um, I had just been praying and praying, and uh, the Lord brought me to, I believe it was Matthew 419, um, I think, but it was when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So after a lot of prayer and reading my Bible, he showed me, yes, you are my child, you are saved, but you're not being obedient in making disciples. Uh-huh. And not long after that, we had DMD, and that's our disciples making disciples, and we've been in training, um, learning how to make that become a lifestyle. That's yeah. not just a new ministry that we're doing, that's something that um, we're going to continue on for the rest of our life. And um, so I'll just kind of tell you a little bit um, about what we do in ours, and um, me and Miss Cindy Reese, a lot of y'all probably know her, um, we do a microchurch together, and um, the way we started is we would just get some Rice Krispie treats, and we would take them to different houses, and we would ask if we could just take five minutes to share with them what God has done for us, and some would be very receptive and would let us come in and share with them, and we would share our stories of what God has done for us, and then we would share God's story, and Um, sending Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. And um, I actually had the honor and the privilege of leading a young girl to the Lord through this ministry. And, um, you know, it's something that you're going to have to keep trying and keep being persistent with. It's not going to happen all at once. Um, Our first microchurch, we had one show up. And Miss Cindy was a little bit discouraged because she was expecting a lot more. But it strengthened my faith because I didn't think anybody was going to (laughs) come. But... um, So we just kept going, and we kept visiting different houses and kept talking to them about the Lord. And um, now we have about eight, I think, that meet. And we meet every Friday. Yep, give God glory for that. 
Um, but we meet every Friday, and at first, when Miss Cindy had suggested um, doing our micro church on Friday night, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, that's great, you know, Friday, we'll do it on, you know, the weekend when a lot of fun things happen, but I'll just tell you that um, there is nothing that I could be doing better than what I'm doing Friday night with our micro church, and if you participate in it and you do it, you will truly be blessed. And here's just a funny story, and I'll end with this. But um, Wednesday, I had a really rough day, and I had had the plan to share the gospel with two of my friends from school. I don't know why I'm getting emotional, but whatever. Um, And so everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, But that night after class, um, I took my friends out to eat and shared the gospel with them. And come to find out, they were both saved, just had been out of church, and... um, not discipled, and I called my dad, and I was like, I have bad news. They didn't get saved. They're already Christians, and um, he said, he said, that's not bad news, Rebecca. That's good news, and so that's just another opportunity for us to have a micro church and, you know, um, bring the gospel to Hansville, but um, one thing I want to say is if you're taking care of God's people and you're doing what he wants you to do, he's going to take care of you, and Wednesday night, um, after that happened, I had a little blessing that would probably mean nothing to nobody, but it meant something to me. But um, my car likes to take forever to warm up, especially during this winter time. And so usually I'm arriving at my destination when it decides that it wants to get warm. Well, that night after sharing the gospel, you know, and being obedient to what the Lord wanted me to do, as soon as I got in my car to go home, instant heat. It was, I turned it all the way up. I was sweating on the way home, but I was just enjoying it, you know, thanking God for the heat. Um, But he will bless you for it. You just, you can't give up. You're like, if you were playing a sport and you have one bad game or one off day or whatever, you're not going to give up. You're going to keep practicing to get better. And it's the same way winning souls. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. And the Lord will bless you for that. So thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah, she's long-winded like her daddy. Amen. Uh, it's a funny, a, a funny. So, is Becca? Where, where'd you go? How? So, how many? How, what's the most ladies you've had in your your group so far? Um, maybe like eight or nine. Eight or nine, probably. Uh, well, they had uh, one of the husbands of the ladies that they work with. Uh, he said, "Well, I want to go one," so they sent him over to mine. And he just showed up, just showed up, and he said, well, they were having theirs, and I, they didn't have no men, so, so here we go. And, and so God is doing some incredible things. We are seeing people saved, uh, seeing people come to know the Lord, and you say, why, why are we even doing this? Why are we even doing this? Do you have any idea how many people will not come in this building? Will not come. The size freaks them out. I mean, they just look at the size automatically. Uh, maybe they've had a, a bad situation take place. I am seeing this every single week when I'm meeting with our men. And, and our, uh, I, I call it at Bondo Church at, at uh, Mac Reith Modifications in his body shop. We are meeting. We're up to 12 to 13 men now. And, and these are men who, who would never come into this building. For whatever reason, maybe a bad situation, a bad experience, I have found this out. that The people are not disenchanted with God or the Bible. They're disenchanted with what we've made church out to be. Now, I, I get upset when people say, well, I'm not going to church because of hypocrites. But if the truth be known, there's a bunch of them. 
And so if they're not going to come to us, guess what we're going to do? We're going to, we're going to go to them. And that's what DMD is. That is exactly what, and matter of fact, guys, I, I hate to break this to you, but that was the original model. That was the way God intended it to be in the first place. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we are to tell sinners to come to us. It does say for us to, and all God's people say it. All right, all right. Now, right after the service, right after the service, there's going to be a little informational meeting. If you've got any questions about DMD, Brother Dustin is going to be in the gym right, right around the corner here. And Becca's also going to be in there. So if you're a young person and you've got some questions about it, you would like to know more information about it, Becca will be back there and also Brother Dustin. So, so, so somebody say amen right there. Now, Matthew chapter 11, this is where we're at. Uh, We are talking about the king, right? We have been several months in the book of Matthew uh, talking about the king. We have seen the king's arrival, the king's kingdom. Uh, uh, We talked about the king's credentials and and his testing. We talked about the king and his court, uh, the men that are around him that he has chosen, right? The king's ambassadors that he has sent out. Uh, The king's forerunner, his messenger, John Baptist. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Everything has been presented to the nation of Israel. Up into this chapter, uh, the king has come, the promised king, the one that God told them all through the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament prophets has said God's going to send a king. There's going to be a king who will sit on the throne of his father David and he will rule forever. Say amen. Amen. Now, here's what we've got. All the evidence has been presented to the people. All the evidence has been presented to the nation's leaders. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Now, this is what's got to take place. This is what's got to take place for the king to step forward and establish his throne. The nation, the nation, say that with me, the has to repent and turn and believe in Christ. Not individual people. This is a major, major key for you to get. There were people who were repenting at the preaching of John the Baptist, right? They were individual people, but not as a nation, not as a nation. And the nation will be established by their leaders. Now, this is what we're going to start with here in chapter number 11. He has presented who he is. You know, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This is the one who was to come. This is the prophesied one. And he's presented his person. If you look in your notes, he's presented his power, right? He is healing. He is doing things that nobody else has done. Nicodemus came to him and said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do what thou doest unless God be with him. Are y'all with me? So he's presented his power. He's healing people right and left. He's also given them the king's principles. That's the the Sermon on the Mount. This is the the constitution of the kingdom. Are y'all with me? Now, all of this is here. He's given them the evidence. He's given them all of this. Now it's up to them. Will they accept him or reject him? Now... The title of today's lesson, if you've got your notes in front of you, the title of today's lesson is what? The king and his rejection. Now we know, we know he came into his own and his own received him not. Starting with chapter number 11, we're going to begin to see the rejection of the king. We saw the king's announcement, his arrival, the king and his ambassadors, the king uh, in his court, the king in his constitution, 
But now we're going to see that God has presented, or Jesus has presented the evidence. He's presented his pedigree. He's presented everything to the people. Now it's up to the people to receive him or reject him. And sadly, we're going to see now they reject him. And so what is it? There's many things that they reject. And the first thing, which we're going to talk about today, is the rejection of his prophet, which would be who? John, John Baptist, the forerunner. Okay? If that makes sense, say amen. Now let's look in, 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 in chapter number 11. Let's begin reading in verse number 7. Most of you know, uh, two weeks ago we talked about John being in prison. John being in prison. The, the, the nation's leaders, the nation's leaders didn't do nothing. They didn't, try to, they didn't try to break him out. They didn't try to appeal for him. They let him be arrested. He was arrested for preaching against the marriage of Herod and Antipas with Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And, and so now he's sitting in prison. He's discouraged. Things are not going the way he thought they would go. And Jesus reassures him. Jesus encourages him. Jesus shows him again that he is who he says he is. Somebody say amen. amen. Now Jesus begins to speak about John Baptist. That's where we're at in verse, uh, verse number seven. When you're there, say amen. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? In other words, if you go back along the riverbank, and that's where he did primarily most of his ministry, and the wind would blow, those reeds would just blow whichever the way what? The wind blew. And what Jesus is saying, do you think you went out to hear somebody that just facilitated whichever way that the winds of culture or the winds of politics would move? No, sir. No, sir. He was not a reed shaken with the wind. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. He said, or, or, but what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Now we know he wasn't. He was clothed with camel hair and a leathern girdle. In other words, he didn't come to you soft. He came disciplined. He came re, uh, 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 reserved. He came out of the wilderness, a totally, a totally austere lifestyle. Are y'all with me? Then he says this, but what went ye out to see? A prophet? Question mark. A prophet? Just a prophet? Now here's where we're going to get a really big portion of our, our message. Yea, I say unto you, say it with me, and say it again, and now, what is he saying? He's saying that John Baptist was more than just a prophet. The nation of Israel had prophets. Uh, listen, many, many, many prophets. But what John Baptist was to the nation was more than just a prophet. And that's what we're going to see here in just a second. For this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. In other words, John was really the last prophet. He was the last one. Okay? And if ye, here's a key, and if ye will receive it, this, talking about John, is Elias, or Elijah of the Old Testament, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? 
It is like unto the children that sit in, in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Look at verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Look at this. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, speak to our hearts today. It's not enough that we get a lesson or we have a Bible study. But Lord, speak to us individually and speak to us in what you would have us to do and what you would have us to obey. God, I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, this is what I want you to see. We're talking about the beginning of the rejection of the king, right? And the first thing that we're going to see is rejected is the king's prophet, which is John Baptist, the forerunner. Now, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's take this because I don't have a, a lot of time. I want you to, I want you to uh, look at point number one. Point number one. Write this down. I want you to see this first. There's a reality unrealized. Write that down. There's a reality that's unrealized. What do you mean? What I mean is that the people didn't understand that John was more than just some ordinary preacher. He was more than just a prophet. They looked at him just like they looked at, at uh, any of the Old Testament prophets. Hey, this is a man that's coming speaking for God. But according to Jesus, say that with me, according to Jesus, Jesus he was more than a prophet. Now, let's see what that is. What does that mean? If he was more than a prophet, then what was he? I want to take you back. I put it in your notes there so you wouldn't have to fumble around and find it. But if you don't have your notes, we'll look this up. Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, and this is the last prophet of the Old Testament, okay? The last prophet of the Old Testament. Now remember, now remember, everybody look at me, everybody look at me, everybody look at me. All through the Old Testament, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis all the way to Malachi, God is promising over and over and over and over, I am sending someone. Are y'all with me? Over and over and over and over and over again, he's promised a deliverer. He's promised a Messiah. I mean, right from the time that he judged the serpent in the garden all the way up into Malachi, I am sending someone. I am sending a Messiah. I am sending a deliverer. I am sending a king. Are y'all with me? There is a promised king. Malachi gives the last word, the last, I guess if you'll see, uh, 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 the last Point of describing who that's going to be. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. 
Now, watch what it says. Watch what it says. Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, behold, I will send you. Come on. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. In other words, before the Messiah comes forward, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. Now we know, according to what we're fixing to read, that he's not saying specifically Elijah himself stepping forward, but one coming in the spirit of Elijah. And we'll see that in Luke. Now watch. Now that is the Old Testament prophet Malachi saying Elijah is going to show up right before the king. If you're following me, say amen. amen. Now, Luke 1.13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, this is the angel speaking to Zacharias in the temple when he is telling him that he's going to have a son. A son is going to be born. All right? Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. All right? Now this is, what, this is Zacharias, John Baptist's father. He said, Thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Oh, does that sound familiar? Sounds kind of like Malachi, doesn't it? Look what it says in verse 17. And he shall go before him. Who's the him? The king. The Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah. Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that sounds exactly like what Malachi said, isn't it? Malachi said there's going to be somebody just like Elijah just like the prophet Elijah, he's going to step forward right before the king, all right? Right before the king's going to come and judge, okay? Now, the angel is saying to John Baptist's daddy, this is him. This is the one Malachi was talking about. Now, Jesus, Jesus reaffirms what we're talking about. Look what he says. Look what he says. Matthew 17, 10. Well, let me, let's, go back to, let's go back to Matthew 11 first. So you'll see where I'm coming from. Verse 13. Verse 13. You there? Say amen. amen. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now watch this. And if ye will receive it, this, talking about John, this is Elias or Elijah, which was for to come. In other words, if you will believe the message of John, he is the one Malachi was talking about. Y'all with me? He's the one. The king will come forth and set up his kingdom if you will believe the message of the Elijah that was sent in John Baptist. Does that make sense? Now, in other words, the reality that's unrealized is that he was the messenger. He was the Elijah What that was for to come. He was the forerunner. He was the one that would be right before the king when the king would set up his kingdom. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Say, well, I don't really believe that. Well, let's see what Jesus says. Let's see what Jesus says. Write in your notes. Write in your notes. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 10. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? In other words, they're quoting Malachi. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come. He's already come. And they what? You see, that was the reality that was unrealized. They didn't even know it. And have done unto him whatever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Now to prove, to prove who he's talking about. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of. Now let me break it down so you can, you can understand what's happening here. In the Old Testament, God said, before the king comes and establishes kingdom, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to prepare the way for him. To turn the hearts of the people back to God. To get the nation to repent. Are y'all with me? And Jesus, the angel, and here in this particular chapter of Matthew 11, they are confirming the fact that John was him. In other words, he's more than a prophet. He is the forerunner. He is the messenger. And and Jesus quotes Isaiah 40 when he said, He is the voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, I know some of y'all are thinking to me and looking. I can see by the looks on your face, you're saying, big deal. Big deal. What's the, what's the significance of this? This is the significance. If they, the nation, if the nation would have believed John's message and accepted the Messiah as their king, Jesus would have established his kingdom right then. Well, what happened? They rejected him. They rejected him. So guess what? Elijah is going to come again. We read that in Revelation. Which I'm not going to go into all that. Go into our Revelation study a few months ago. You'll see all about it. Say amen. But here's the point. Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. The king has presented the evidence. The king has his prophet. The king has his forerunner. The messenger saying, this is him. This is him. This is him. And they reject him. And we're going to see that in point number two. So number one, number one, we see what? The the reality unrealized. Does everybody understand that before we go to point two? Does everybody get that? The reality is he's more than just a preacher. He's more than just a prophet. He's more than one just standing and saying repent. He was the one who was promised to come right before the king. If that makes sense, say amen. Amen. All right, number two. Watch. You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We have the promise and then we have the response. All right, look at number two. A response unlamented. Unlamented means ungrieved, unmourned. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you don't even realize it, but he, this is the one. John is the one. If you'll believe his message, if you'll accept it, if you'll accept that John is the forerunner, he is the messenger, he is the Elijah that was to come. John is the one Malachi was talking about. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now watch, Jesus shifts gears. Jesus shifts gears. And he says, but let me tell you how you treated him. Let me tell you what you did. Let me tell you how you responded to the messenger that God promised to come. Look what he says. 
But whereunto, verse 16, whereunto shall I liken this generation? This is the response of the people to the prophet. He says, whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto the children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you. And ye have not lamented. For John came either drinking, neither drink, eating or drinking. And they say he hath the devil. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Now let me give you two things under this. Number one, I want you to see the illustration. The illustration that Jesus used. He used an illustration of kids playing in the marketplace. All right, I, I, I typed it out. I typed it out on your notes so you can take it home and look at it again. But they're, 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 what would happen is in the marketplace, all the adults would come and sell their wares. It would usually be in the, the center of the village or center of the city. And as the, the parents and the adults were doing their business, the kids would be running around playing. Now, how many of y'all know that kids like to imitate adults? Right? We, they play church, they play war, they play army. They, they, they mimic whatever the adults are doing. And there's two things Jesus illustrates. One is a wedding and the other is a funeral. You see that? He says, we piped you and you did not dance. What did they do at a wedding? They would celebrate. They would have a dance. They would, they would have festive music. It would be exciting and a celebration. And they would have dancing and music and having a big time. And so the kids would mimic that. They would play, they would play wedding and they would have a big time and imitate a wedding. And they'd also do it with funerals. They would mourn and they would grieve and they would do exactly what the adults would do. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, but some of y'all are like spoiled children. You see, the kids get together and say, let's play wedding. Let's play wedding. Let's celebrate. Let's have a big time. And you always have some knotheads over there saying, well, I don't want to do that. When this crowd says, let's play wedding, they say, let's play funeral. Or when they say, well, let's play funeral, they say, no, let's play wedding. How many of y'all know there's always some kids that's going to throw a wet blanket on everything? Spoil rotten, don't get their way. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is saying the people of Israel were. Spoiled, rotten kids. Watch, watch. And this is how he ties it together. All right. We have the illustration, but then we have the explanation. Write that down. You see, we have a wedding. We have a wedding, a celebratory atmosphere, dancing and music and celebration. Then over here, we have the funeral. We have the, the mourning, the grieving, the dirge, if you will, and, 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 and all of it. Well, now what Jesus says, John represents the funeral and Jesus represents the wedding. And this is how he said it. John came serious as a heart attack. Right? Son John came out in the wilderness. He didn't come out of the city. He didn't come out of soft houses. He didn't have he slept on the ground. He was out in the wilderness with the animals. He had listen, leather girdle and 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 camel hair. Everything about him was strict. Everything about him uh, uh, was, was serious. It was repent, turn or burn. He represented the funeral atmosphere. Amen. Are y'all with me? But Jesus, he came the exact opposite of John. He walked the streets with the people. 
He, he involved himself in the regular life of the people. He celebrated weddings. Matter of fact, the first miracle we have of Jesus, he was celebrating a wedding. In other words, John came dead serious, disciplined to the max, preaching against everything, and you said he had a devil. Then Jesus comes, Jesus comes walking and talking, uh, living a normal life amongst the people, healing their diseases, celebrating with them. He didn't come, he came the, the exact opposite of John the Baptist, and you say he's a wine bibber and gluttonous. Y'all get what he's saying now? In other words, no matter how we approach you with the truth, no, no matter how we present the truth to you, you're just not going to accept it. Now let's think about how that applies to us. You have churches that are against everything. They're legalistic to the core, mean as a devil, preach against everything, got more rules than Jesus. And people won't accept them. No, they're too mean. They're too ritual, ritualistic. They're too legalistic, blah, blah, blah. But then you got churches over here and they ain't get nothing. They're liberal to the core. They're all... And Jesus is saying, it don't matter how we came to y'all. It doesn't matter how we presented the truth to you. You rejected it. You have a criticism for no matter what you're going to criticize. Now, I don't know about y'all, but there's a lot of people in modern day just like that. Amen. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too dark. It's too light. There ain't enough fog. We shouldn't have no fog. Too many drums. Too many electric guitars. We got too liberal. Too sh- Preacher's too loud. He's too soft. He doesn't teach enough. He doesn't preach enough. I don't believe in coffee in the foyer. I believe in coffee in the auditorium. It don't matter. It don't matter what we do. You can't make everybody happy. And Jesus is saying, do you understand people? No matter what we've tried to do to get your attention, you reject it. You know what I've come to the conclusion, guys? You'll never see truth unless you're looking for it. And no matter how much truth you put in front of somebody, if they're not looking for truth, they'll never see the truth that you're presenting. What's the point, guys? You better better stop being critical. Jesus has brought the truth to you in so many different ways. Some of y'all have sat in this building over and over and over and over and over and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel. And every single week you make a new excuse. You make another excuse. You make a reason why you won't. Make a reason why you won't commit. A reason why you won't sacrifice. A reason why you won't submit. One day you're going to give account for that. Amen. And we see a response that's unlamented. And by the way, the message is in this last point. And I got ten minutes to give it to you. Actually, five. But look at number three. This is the saddest one of all. He begins to he begins to upbraid some cities: Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Look what he says. Verse twenty. 
Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of the mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, if you go study, I don't have time to explain it, but they were a very, very wicked group of cities. Are y'all with me? Say amen. I mean bad, 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 bad. Think Sodom and Gomorrah. Y'all know how wicked they were. Same, same level, same plane. But I say unto you, it shall be more, verse 22, but I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. I want you to see a revelation that's unfathomed. It's hard to believe. Jesus is looking at a crowd of good people. Good people. They're nowhere near the level of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're nowhere nowhere near the level of Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus begins to tell them, listen, it's going to be easier. And there's going to be more mercy shown on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know their wickedness. Unparalleled wickedness to the point that God himself destroyed those cities. He said, but let me tell you what, you're going you're gonna to stand with more judgment than those cities. Because if God would have done in Sodom and Gomorrah and Tyre and Sidon what he did in Capernaum and, and Bethsaida and Chorazin, they would all have repented. If, if they would have seen the miracles if they would have seen the blessings, if they would have heard the messages, if they, watch this now, if they would have had the privilege of Christ, the Son of God, to walk the very streets and preach in person and do the miracles that he did, if he would have done it in Sodom, they would have repented. But what's he saying? You had a privilege. You had a privilege that was greater than them all. But watch this. Here's their sin. Indifference. Say it with me. Say it with me. You know what that means? So what? Who cares? Whatever. They saw miracles and went about their business. They saw Jesus do the most impossible, incredible things, and they just went about their business. Now watch this. Write this down, and I'm going to hurry. What do we learn from this? A, great privilege brings great accountability. Great privilege brings great accountability. Say it with me. All right, let's try it together. <clears throat> you ready? Number, here we go. Great Can you imagine the privilege of seeing... Jesus in person, witnessing the miracles in person, witnessing the feeding of the 5,000 in person, witnessing the calming of the storm in person, walking on the water in person, witnessing the healing of the blind in person, witnessing healing of the lame in person, witnessing raising the dead in person. Can you imagine the privilege? And they were indifferent. 
I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, that's terrible. All right, be careful. Look to your left and look to your right. You know what you're seeing? Some very privileged people. Watch. We may not even get past this point, but that's enough. Luke 12, 48. Look in your notes. But he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Watch this now. Read it with me. For unto, read it with me. For unto whomsoever much is giving of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him they shall ask the... You know what Jesus is saying? You had great privilege. So you're going to be judged more harshly. Now let me apply that to us. Every one of you, every single one of you, everybody look at me now, everybody look at me, everybody look at me because I got to draw this home, this is it. Every single one of you in this building, top to bottom, you pass multiple churches who are going to share the gospel this week getting here. You have an unparalleled privilege access to the gospel. Would you agree? Do you realize how many cities and countries and people groups have absolutely no access to the gospel? Well, what's the point, preacher? You will be held accountable for what you do with the gospel. Look, look to your left and look to your right. You know what you see? A bunch of rich people. Preacher, I can show you my bank account. I don't have to see it. I can see, I can see your Social Security card, which says you're an American citizen. And the poorest in America are richer than probably 60% of the world. Let me, let me break this to you. Do you have our, our Nepal? Let me share this with you and I'll, I'll pray. This is, a, this is a, a church in Nepal. We learned two weeks ago that the Nepali people, TTI has, has a, a movement that started for the next two years to try to plant a church in every village in the continent of India. And they showed how it was going to be done and all this. It's just incredible. But to make a long story short, the Nepali people, the Nepali people, the churches in Nepal have committed to give $100,000 to reach this. Now, you're saying, well, we just raised that. But you don't understand. They make a dollar a day. Y'all with me? They make a dollar a day. And in two years, they've committed to give $100,000 to reach the continent of India. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When I heard that and when I studied this, my knees started quivering. 
And I'm thinking, dear God, don't make me have to go in the judgment after them. Because with great privilege comes great accountability. They don't have the resources we have. They don't have the access we have. You know what he's saying to Chorazin and Capernaum and Bethsaida? You're going to be judged more harshly than... Can you imagine being, being thought of worse than Sodom and Gomorrah? Simply because of the privilege that they were indifferent to. I don't know about y'all, but that convicts the fire out of me. Brother Doug, that scares me to death. What are we doing with our privilege? What are we doing with our resources and our access to the gospel? Are we just sitting on it? Are we just ignoring it? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just coming to church and then going home, coming to church and going home? We're not telling anybody. We're not sharing our faith. We're not sharing the gospel. We're hoarding it up. We're coming and sitting, sitting, soaking, and souring. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you this. We're going to give account. And there's great accountability with great privilege. And I don't think anybody in here could argue the privilege we have with our resources, the privilege we have with the access to the gospel. You can turn on the radio and get it. Brother John, you can turn on the TV and get it. You can go to every corner in Coleman and there's a church. We're going to be held accountable for how we, how we are getting this gospel that we have free access to to those who don't have it. And all God's people say it. There's, there's a truth, a reality. John's him. There's a response. You, you won't accept anything, no matter what we do. No matter what we say. But let me tell you something. There's going to be an accounting one day. Amen. There are consequences to our response to truth. Right. I don't know about y'all, but I want to step up my game. Because we're running out of time. We're running out of time. And one day we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. To give, come on, to give account. To give account. And all God's people say it. Let me give you the other two words for y'all. They're going to be tore up so I didn't give it to you. A, say it with me. There is. Oh, we're all tore up already, aren't we? Come on, say it with me. Great privilege brings great accountability. B, there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell. Revelation 21 says, They all shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire. He lists the fearful, unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. In other words, the good old boys... Everybody's going to have their place. Everybody's going to get what's coming to them. He's saying it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than Chorazin, Bethsaida. Y'all with me? So there's going to be degrees. Then C, indifference will be judged more harshly than all. You know what's sad? Is that modern day American Christians run around 
and they look at, they look at homosexuals and, 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 and those, of that, those of that persuasion, if you want to use that word, like they're the most disgusting sinners on the planet. When you know what God says? Those of you that are indifferent to what my son did for you, you're worse. You're worse. Let me read it. Let me read it. Look what it says. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully, in other words, we refuse Christ, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But what? A certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Read it with me. Of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, which was with he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance is mine, or vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Read it with me. It is a, read it with me. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel. Preachers have pleaded, preachers have begged, preachers have invited you to trust in Christ. And you just say, eh. That's you. That's you. In other words, you look at the cross and you look at what Christ did on the cross and you just, eh. Well, one day. One day, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give account for, eh. How do you want to meet him? How do you want to meet him? Do you want to meet him and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I trusted you with great privilege, resources, access, and you did a fine job. Or are we going to have to stand before him because we lived a life of, eh, the choice is yours. Preacher, oh, I've wasted so much. Today's the first day to the rest of your life. I can't change my past, but I can sure change my future. Let's make a difference. And all God's people see it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the truth and the conviction that I feel in my own heart. With great privilege comes great accountability. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll touch the hearts of those in here that need to trust you as their Savior. I pray in Jesus' name that you will touch those who need to commit and, and step out in faith and do something great for you. I pray that your perfect will be done. Move in an awesome way. Move in an awesome way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. If God is speaking to you, you come. We've got people at this altar who say, Preacher, I've never been saved. Well, run down here. Don't even, don't even walk. Run down here. Let us take a Bible and show you how to be saved. Up in the balcony, we've got people in the